Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Thank you. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay it long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? We, uh, we've been talking about identity and there are ways in which I think all of us at some point we identify with this widow. You may not have had the same circumstance. I guarantee none of us have, have, uh, have had quite her experience because of what it was like to be a woman in the first century, which was already more difficult by far than, than it would be uh, now. But then to be a widow just exacerbates the situation. And then to have whatever the problem was, Jesus doesn't you know, give us a specific case, whatever it was for which she needed justice, to go to the judge and to seek that justice and to have him keep slamming the door in your face. And some of you may have experienced that. That may be something you've been through where you've tried to, to get something rectified and made right and it just won't and it just won't and it just won't because the judge or the boss or the whoever just keeps slamming the door in your face and saying, you know, I really don't care about that, either by their words or their actions. So maybe that you can relate to. It's easy, I think, when you get into a circumstance where society is telling you like it was telling her. You're worthless. You are unworthy. You have nothing to give, nothing of value. Every morning, there were men who got up in that day day and time and would pray in their prayers to the Lord, thank you, Lord, that I was not born a woman. That was the attitude. Okay? When society is telling you, you are less than. When the one who ought to bring you justice tells you, you are less than. You know, after a while, no matter how hard you try not to let that get to you, it gets to you. Even the strongest people at some point, it gets to you. Yet this woman kept going back and kept going back. I like this lady, by the way. She just goes back and goes back and goes back till this judge who is heartless and cold finally, finally says, you know what? I don't like you. I don't like God. I don't like any of it. But this lady is driving me nuts. Get her off my back. Finally, she gets a little bit of justice. And even then, it wasn't like true uh, what's the right word? It wasn't, it wasn't true from the heart justice. There's a hallmark word I'm looking for, but I'm not getting it. Altruistic, I think that's it. Um, it but at least she got it. But only through the, you know, the consistent, like Chinese water torture, drip, 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 drip on the judge's forehead did she get it. 
And that makes, makes me wonder, when we're looking at identity, what is it that was in this lady that Jesus tells this story about? What would it be in a person like that that would drive her back and back and back? That he actually says, and I want you to be like her. So we're supposed to ask the question, if I'm going to be like her, how am I going to be like her? Is it just, is Jesus saying, you know, be a, be a Christian nagger? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think instead there's, a, there's something about her identity, how she sees herself through God's eyes that Jesus wants us to get. He wants us to understand. And there's something in the identity of God that changes our understanding of our identity of self that he wants us to. To get. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And it all has to do with this question. With all the obstacles that were in her way, why would she think she stood a chance? Why would she keep going back? Why did she see a glimmer of hope where a lot of people would have seen nothing but a slam door and would have given up? What was it that she understood about maybe herself? Let's look at this. This is in verse, this is here in your uh, text, in verses 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus tells us, or asks us the question, the rhetorical question, you think God delays? What do you think this lady saw? What does she understand about herself that she kept going back? Why would she just keep knocking on a door that's been closed time and time and time again? It's the same reason that people who would protest things like, let's say, let's say Rosa Parks on the back of a bus. Why does she think that she could go up to the front of the bus? Was she just trying to start a fight? Was she just protesting? Was she arguing? Or was there something she saw when she looked in the mirror every morning that she understood about herself that was real, that was true, and that was right, that drove her to do what she did? Now, it's been pointed out this weekend. Notice she went to the front of the bus. She did not burn down the bus. There are ways to express dissent, Right? There are good, right ways to do that. She stands as a good example of how to handle that. What drove her to the front? What drove this woman? They have a lot in common. What drove Harriet Tubman? I think about her because her, some of the work that Harriet Tubman did in the Underground Railroad, smuggling people past the bounty hunters, that she, her trail, the Underground Railroad, sometimes went past within two blocks of my house in New York. There's a cemetery two blocks from, from the house we had in New York where there is a small cave down by a small river where she would hide people until dark when they could get out safely. She also started a riot one time on accident because she stood up for somebody in court right there in Troy. What leads people to do things like that, to speak truth to power, or to just simply say, you know what, justice is what I need, right is what I need, and if it's just the simple act of walking to a different part of the bus and it's time that this be made right. What drives a person like that? What drives a widow back to the judge? I think it's found in what Jesus says in his, these questions. Will not God give justice to his elect? Elect means chosen. When God looks at you, Peter and Paul will both use this term later. He sees the elect. 
Those whom He has chosen for salvation, those who have chosen Him for salvation. By the way, that's not, I'm not getting into Calvinistic stuff if you're from that sort of a background. The elect, as they refer to it in those letters, is the church. God chose His bride. Jesus chose His bride. And all who come into her are God's elect because they are part of the chosen bride. Jesus says, what will God do for people that He has chosen, that He wants to spend eternity with, that He wants to have relationship with? Is He going to hang you out to dry? Is He going to keep shutting the door? Is He not going to hear those prayers? Is He not going to answer those prayers? Will He not answer those cries for strength when you may be the person who needs to speak a little truth to power? Will He not do that? And we know the answer, don't we? What's the answer? Man, I thought y'all knew it. Well, it's a good thing we talked about this this morning. Y'all weren't aware. The answer is yes. Let's hear it. What's the answer? Yes. Okay, yeah, you almost believe it. You're nearly there. Maybe by the end we'll, we'll get it, right? But yes, God loves you and has chosen you. And therefore, what Jesus is saying is He doesn't leave His door closed even to begin with. So you keep knocking and keep praying. I like the acapella song that says, don't just ask, seek, and knock. They said, ask, seek, and knock real loud. Go ahead and be bold. That's what the Hebrew writer said, so that we can approach His throne with boldness. Boldness because we know that like this widow, there is a God who has defined us, shaped us, saved us, redeemed us, and called us, and will equip us, rescue us, and deliver us. That's how much He cares about us. So in this, it's just a small little parable, but it teaches us a lot about who we are. We are chosen. We are listened to. We are heard. And God doesn't wait. He's anxious to help. Sometimes He's just waiting for us to realize that's what we actually need. And then He'll give us our justice speedily. And then Jesus asked the tough question, but, but if I come back, if you're praying, Lord Jesus, come as John does at the end of the book of Revelation. Lord, come quickly. Okay, but if I come back, what am I going to find? Will you be ready? Will you be this widow waiting at the door so when it swings open, let's get? That's his question. One only, only you can answer for yourself. Go over to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Probably these two passages may not be linked together in your head, but I, there's, there's a reason these are, are going to be together this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, because you know if you're clicking on that thing, you can't just look down the page. You've got to put the verse in, right, on your phone. Well, I said 14. Let's go back up to verse 10. You know I'm always going to change it. You're going to have to scroll up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Let's, let's think about what we're up against here. In some ways, what he said is kind of a good reminder. Okay? You don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Okay? So the people around you, even if they act like your enemies, not actually your enemies. In a sense, okay? And even if they are, what are you supposed to do? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Because ultimately, they're only your enemies because they're serving the wrong master and caught in the wrong trap. And your job is not to cut them down. 
It's not to war against them, but to save them from that trap. Okay? Our war is not against other people. It's against something more sinister, something more unseen. It's spiritual warfare. And these two texts, the one in Luke 18 and this one, are all about spiritual warfare and who we really are. Because we are loved, because we are heard, because God wants to save us, He tells us, you keep coming, because this is going to be a long fight. It's not going to be a one time and it's over. You're not going to just have to come to the Lord one time, pray a prayer, and and be baptized, and you're all good. Because what you've done and what you have experienced is salvation and grace and deliverance. And the last time I checked, Satan ain't like none of those things. And so he's going to fight to get you back. And so he's going to to put on an even deeper fight. And the Lord tells us, get ready. Paul says to the Ephesian church, so put on the spiritual armor of God. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. On the one hand, you might say, okay, well, if my, if my fight isn't against flesh and blood, maybe a spiritual fight's not so bad. And then he lists it. Powers, authorities. I mean, look at the way he describes it. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We are not prepared... We need to understand, this is a part of our identity. We are not prepared to go into spiritual battle for our souls or anyone else's, to launch out in evangelism and to reach other people on our own strength or with what we think we have that will protect us. Because all we're going to be is Gilligan's Island against an F-16. And you know how that would end, right? He didn't do real well with the Japanese sub. So... What we need to understand is, of our own, we are not enough. And so he says, if you're going to go out, let me prepare you. Let God give you the necessary tools to be able to, and he goes on and says, to stand. Even just to stand and hold ground, you will need what God gives you to get there. Let's look at what he says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that's verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, here are the things that you need and that you need to know that God will give you. You knock on His door, He hands you these to be able to handle whatever is outside that door. He says, first stand. And the first thing He says is truth. We need badly to become again a people who are so well versed with the Scriptures that when anything comes up, we know how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to act, and how we're supposed to react. We are, by nature, ignorant fools. Okay? That's just who we are, and it's the honest truth. 
By nature, we don't think so. We get puffed up and wise in our own eyes. Isn't that what Proverbs says? We get wise in our own eyes and we think that we have it all together and we think we're just the best thing walking down the street. And Satan knows in that moment he's got a fool on the hook. He wins. He wins the second we have that attitude. He says what you need to know is the truth. The truth about who God is. There's so much confusion, even just about who God really is. We need to be people that get back into how He's revealed Himself through the Word. Who will let this shape our understanding more than we try to go to the Bible and and, and, and proof text our understanding. Who is God? What did Jesus say in the parable? He's one who cares. He's one who hears. He's one who provides. He's one who acts quickly and justly. That's the truth. So you know that whatever anybody tells you about God that conflicts those things, you can just ignore because that's the truth about who He is. Who are you? You know, you can go to California and you can find an identity. You can go to Austin and find an identity. You can go to Walmart and get on a website with an identity. Or you can look into the Word of God and say, God, what have you made me? How have you shaped me? Into what do you want to transform me? You will find in His truth the answer to those questions. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are, when we are baptized, we are clothed with Christ. We become a person who is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And he says, don't put that down. Don't shed the grace that he's given you. Don't lose touch with the blood of Christ that in 1 John 1 says, he purifies us every day, every step, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. This his blood purifies us from all sin. And when Satan tries to tell you because you've made a mistake or you've slipped again or you've fallen back, well, see, I told you you were never one of those believers. I told you you weren't really a disciple. I told you you'd never really make it in this Christian thing. You go back to the truth. Remember how he has clothed you and you remember. No. What he said was, he would keep cleansing me, he would keep walking with me, and he would give me a family that walks with me and has my back. So, you wear that breastplate that guards your heart with righteousness born of truth. And it's kind of funny. We always talk about the shoes on your feet and uh, how the shoes represent the gospel of peace. Look at the way this is worded. I think we sometimes miss this. Yes, Part of what he's trying to get us to understand those shoes represent is peace. And the good news, that's what gospel means, good news, the good news of God's peace. But notice what he says those shoes are actually all about is not just the peace, but what? Look at that bolded word right there in the middle of the sentence. The readiness given by the good news of God's peace. It's one thing to say, you know, I'm at peace with God and it's all great and and I got up this morning and I knew it was going to be a good day because I'm forgiven and I'm saved and I'm this and I'm that. But that's not what he said here to be ready with. He said what? Put on the shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace. You be ready to get out there and walk it and run it to anyone else 
who needs it. Blessed are those who have peace. Light a candle, have a cup of coffee, and, and run a bubble bath, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? It's not. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this is a reference to that. You be ready to get out there and spread the good news of God's peace. You be people who bring it into other lives, into other situations, because one of the biggest things that the devil will do is try to steal the peace from your relationships, from your work, from your home, from your relationship with God. In every way, he will work to disrupt. He will work to destroy the sense of peace and peacefulness that is there. That is why Larry prayed earlier. I know you were here somewhere, but I can't find you now. Larry's in here somewhere. Uh, Larry prayed earlier that uh, for our, our leaders and for our government, as Paul, there you are, as Paul instructed us to do. Why? He said, so we can lead peaceful lives. Part of our readiness is our praying and our working and our exemplifying what it means to be a people of peace and actually bringing that into other people's lives. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. This is what that woman had, isn't it? This is what the widow had. A faith in God that justice could be had, that justice could be found, and that tenacity pays off. Okay? And Jesus said, I want you to be just as tenacious, just as, as, as absolutely you just don't give up as that woman is. That's what I want you to be. Because your faith in me is that it will be made right, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. You know you're saved. You don't let him blow into your thoughts any other thought except that God is your salvation and he has delivered you and will deliver you from anything and everything. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, again, getting back into the truth, it's not just what you know, a sword involves action. Live it. Get out and actually take what he has said that is true and make a difference because of it. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication because none of this works unless we do what she did. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Knowing that your God will deliver justice and will deliver you and speedily. No matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what he tries to disrupt, no matter what he tries to destroy, no matter what he tries to put into your life to shake you up and, and make you driven by fear. Fear is one of the worst motivators in life because fear is the enemy of the peace that we're to be ready to share. Fear causes people to turn on each other. Insecurity causes people to turn on each other. He says, I want you instead to find strength in the throne room of God so that you can be what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is a conqueror. We have been made more than conquerors through Christ. This is who we are. We are not overcome. We are overcomers. Every hurdle, every lie, every disruption, we overcome by the strength and the wisdom and the power of God.
You go out into the world this afternoon. You don't go out in fear. You go out in confidence in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have yet to clothe yourself with Christ so that you can know what we're talking about this morning and know what it's like to be delivered, we always have an opportunity. And if you've got a songbook, go ahead and do that. You, this real old-fashioned. Get your songbook out. And it's number 647. Is that right? Yeah, Jesse's going to lead us in 647, which I think is rather fitting for what Paul has just encouraged us to do and to be and reminded us that we are soldiers of Christ arise. If you need prayers this morning or would like to put Christ on in baptism this morning, would you come as we stand and as we sing?